Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. Amen. Well, we are in part two of our series, Live Like Jesus. To summarize last week, part one, essentially what I said was whenever you, you take Jesus' master class, even when Jesus said, follow me, what Jesus was essentially inviting people to do wasn't to just go to heaven. He was essentially saying, follow me and I will show you how to live your life and how to have real life right here and right now. One of the things that John 10.10 10 says that we talked about last week was, Jesus said this, I came to give life and life more what? Abundantly. But here's the thing, the translation for that word is not, yes, it does mean abundantly. But when you see the connotation of that word within the Greek language, that word also means uncommon, extraordinary, superior, more than is needed. So essentially when Jesus said, I have come to give life and life uncommon, life extraordinary, a superior life, and a life where there is more than is necessary. So here's the thing, right? And then Jesus said, come unto me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus invites us to follow him. And the thing is, is Jesus just didn't come and die, and you know, live, die, and resurrect just so we could get to heaven. Jesus lived also as an example for us of how life could and should and can be lived. I love what First Peter said, chapter 2, verse 21. The context here of First Peter is Christians were under intense persecution. And I'm not talking about someone talked bad about me. I can't believe somebody doesn't agree with the Bible. You know, how we typically define persecution nowadays, right? We typically de- define persecution nowadays as someone... Someone was mean to me because I was a Christian. So here's the thing, right? Persecution in this day was Christians were being put on large sticks and burned. Yeah. And I mean, mean, there was intense persecution. And Paul here, or excuse me, Peter here, wrote to a group of scattered Christians and a group of scattered churches to encourage them by saying things like this here. He said, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your, say that word with me, example, and you must follow in his steps. The context here is persecution. The context here is saying, if you want to follow Jesus, get get ready for some suffering. But what I love here that Peter brings out, he says, Jesus is our example. He doesn't say Jesus, you know, the Jesus was our savior. Jesus is our get-out-of-hell-free card. He says, Jesus is our example. And with this series, whenever we're saying live like Jesus, we are saying, what example did Jesus set that we can follow in so we can live like him? The first lesson today that we're going to learn is the fact that Jesus lived in community. Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, came and set the example that Jesus lived in community with a small 
group of people and did life with a small group of people. Now, the thing is this, right? We typically, whatever we say, do life together, we can, some, we can sometimes think that it's just kind of like we're friends and we kind of have some acquaintances. And, 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 and you know, here's, a, here's, a, and here's the thing, right? Whenever you actually look at the kind of relationship when Jesus said, follow me to these disciples, and he built a group of 12 guys following him and doing life together with him, you have to understand the the teacher and disciple relationship where these these guys were like following Jesus like wanting to be uh, by Jewish commentators that would actually evaluate disciple and teacher relationships is they would actually say this may you follow or may you walk and be caked in the dust of your rabbi of your teacher essentially saying like as you follow your teacher, your dust, because you are so closely following him. Not wanting to miss a thing he says. Not wanting to miss a thing he does. And, and so you got to say, when Jesus called these guys to be in relation, he wasn't just saying, come and know what I know. He does not say, hey, come and get a transfer of information. He was saying, come and we'll do life together. We'll have campfire chats. I'll ask you how are things going at the house. I'll ask you, Peter, how's your wife doing? I'll ask y'all, how was y'all's kids? How was it? I mean, it, it was like doing life together. And y'all, what I'm scared of, because what I've seen, I've been in church a long time, is that many people will come and sit in a church building and sit in a seat, but never experience doing life together relationships. Be, and I mean, honestly, like we'll come, we'll sit in a service, and we'll sit in rows, but we never want to sit in circles. You know, it's and y'all, this is great. This is awesome. This is a very important of growing and very important, you know, part about your faith and following Christ are Sundays, but also too, whenever you look at the example that Christ set, he lived in community, and that's what I want to challenge us with today. And 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 just if, and just say if we're gonna live like like Jesus, we also have to say, are we living in community with a small group of people and doing life together with other Jesus followers? It's hard, though. Let's just be honest. If you've been in church, you know doing life together is hard. It's messy. I mean, good Lord. Some of y'all have been so hurt by the church because y'all tried to do life together, and it just crumbled. Some, some of, of y'all, some of the greatest hurts and wounds you have is from church people, from people that you were in relationship with, and you had somebody Judas you. You had somebody betray you, turn their back on you. They said they were all for you. The next thing you know, 1,400 other people know what you're walking through. It's hard, y'all. Relationships are messy and hard. And, and really, here's the thing, thing, though. I think there, whenever we look at what is the challenge to building community, not just within the church, within our culture, I want to highlight four specific things that I've seen. These are all opinion-based, but at the same time, experience-based, and I think are just... Um, anecdotally true all right the first one's this super we we struggle because because we are superficial because of pride where where we don't want to show people the real us so we walk uh, so we 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 always have shallow relationships because we never want to show people like the real us we just want them to see the kind of like facebook instagram 
sports center side of us. Right? And it's, and it's just like, you know, man, I ain't got no struggles. I'm just blessed. Okay. But here's the thing, though. The, the root cause there is pride. Where, where you don't want people to actually see you so you stay surfacey. How's it going, brother? I'm good. I'm blessed and highly favored. But is there anybody in your life saying, how's your soul doing? How is your marriage going? Right? And, and the thing is this, right? We can struggle to get in community because of pride. Secondly, though, I, I think we can struggle because of past relational trauma, which actually creates unhealthy codependent relationships. Where, here's the thing, some of you have been abused, neglected, used, and really what this has done, it has created relational deficits. And that might be a brand new term for you, something, back in October, right, I've been going on these pastoral retreats, basically help, you know, basically, man, helping pastors stay saved. (laughs) It's kind of what they are, right? Uh, this, you know what, this past year, pastoring has been insane. And I know me, I was just like, I got to get away and get my soul right, my heart right, and just figure out what's going on inside of me. Because the thing is this, right, one of the, and and here's the thing, I'll be vulnerable starting off. One of the potential occupational hazards of pastoring is functioning in spite of what you feel. Where, here's the thing, pastors can be so good at functioning in their role that they push past what's going on inside of their soul. And possibly, you do that too. Where you, where you, where you just got to be strong for, for your work. You got to be strong for this person. And you push past what's the stuff that's going on beneath the surface because you got to function. So the thing is, right, the thing is, right, on this retreat that I was at back in October, Back in October, they had us fill out a child wound survey. It's like, whoa, I am not. I don't want to go this deep out on your birthday. It was asking questions like, did you do well in school because you wanted your parents' approval? Were you verbally abused by your parents? And the thing is this, right? The point wasn't, wasn't to just like bring up stuff just to bring up stuff. The point was to say, are there any relational deficits that are currently contributing relational dysfunctions? Because most of the time, relational dysfunctions have got a root. And the thing is this, it is typically relational deficits experienced in your past. And one of the things that I have seen is, is that when there are deficits, we tend to overcompensate. So the thing is this, right? If you had somebody important in your life not fill, not fill a specific need you had, you can then create unhealthy expectations on friends, spouses in your life that you put a divine-like burden on a finite person And when they don't meet your deficits, you damn them. 
And so, and, and so then essentially because you're not whole, you're trying to take some, some other person to fill that void you have, which, the, which people were never created to fill a void in your life. Only God can do that. But when you don't address your, your relational deficits, it can create an unhealthy codependency on finite people to fill a divine-like void. Okay, so here's the thing. How does this relate to kind of like church life? People come in hurt. They, they've got relational deficits. And then they try to take, and then when somebody within the church does not, does not meet their relational deficit or something they've got going on, they just, oh, well, the church, it's just church people and church, church. And, they, and churches are full of broken, relational, deficited people. Start with the pastor. So we got a bunch of broken people coming together, trying to do life together. But then the thing is, is that creates this whole like, well, this, and, and then, well, you know what, it's, you know, the church hurt me, and I'm never going back to a church because the, the church is just, you know, and then what, but, but honestly, the problem is, is that you've, you haven't dealt with the broken part of, of you that the church could never, that only God can fill, that you were putting on broken, messed up people within the church. That makes sense? Everybody good still? No one left yet? All right. Thirdly, though, the, the third reason why I think it's really hard to build community is because we've become preference-based because of the culture shaping us. Essentially, we only come in and saying, what can this person do for me? You know, one social psychologist said we have a culture of, of people who basically have become competing self-maximizers. Where basically everyone's saying, how can him or her or that or, or this make me better? And if it doesn't give me something, I don't want any part of it. So here's the thing is this, right? Whenever we have people that come into the church and if they are all, all saying, how can you make me better? How can this make me better? Instead of saying, what can I give to make us better? Then we become this selfish, the, the selfish culture of just a bunch of competing self-maximizers that are just trying to become the best them instead of saying, how can we be a Christ-like body that is about us and community? Lastly, though, um, the fourth reason is past hurts. Here's the thing. Hurt is real. Church hurts real. Relational hurts real. But the thing is this, when you are hurt, what you can then do is, is retreat into isolation. And you can say things like, I'm never going to be hurt again. But the thing is this, when you block yourself off from being hurt, you also block yourself from being loved. Because the gateway to being loved is vulnerability. How you get hurt is vulnerability. So the thing is, is some of you have said, I'm not letting no one else in. But essentially what you've done is you've said, I'm not even letting love in. And the, and the thing is this, whenever you don't heal, whenever you don't address that hurt, what you'll do is you'll slowly drift into relational isolation. Instead of, of saying, how can I be proactive in working through this hurt so I don't block myself off from love either. So these are four specific things that I just see that is killing community. It's like, okay, John, that's the problem. Okay, great. Thank you for uh, addressing that. Are you going to move on to actually something about Jesus? Yes. Okay. 
that's the problem that I see. Now I want to talk to you. That the, when you look at the relationships that Jesus have, I want to point out five observations. That if we're going to live like Jesus and we're actually going to live in community, I want to just give you five observations that I see about Jesus' life when it comes to, to relationships. First off, Jesus had purposeful relationships. He was very strategic. He had purposeful relationships, right? Jesus chose these 12 and one of the things he called them, he called them friends. John, John chapter 15. He said, I call you friends. So there was definitely a friendship there. Jesus had friends, but let me tell you this. There wasn't just friendship there. Jesus was also training them to go and change the world. So Jesus had purposeful relationships. There was purpose and there was friendship. Everyone say Purpose. And friendship. Let me ask you this. How purposeful are your friendships? How purposeful are those people that you are giving the most precious resource you have, which is your time? Because some of y'all love friends, and you have a good time with them, but there's, there's not a lot of purpose with them. Some of you, all you want is purpose. It's like, what's this? It's like what are we going to do? Where are we going? What are we going to accomplish? I think you need, and what Jesus modeled and what Jesus showed is you need both. He, he showed you need purpose. Like, what, why are we doing this? What are we doing? But, but also Jesus said to his 12, he said, I call you friends. I believe there was friendship. I believe, like I said, there was questions. How are you doing? How's it going? How are your kids doing? How is your wife doing? Secondly, I believe, or here's the thing, right? Jesus helped a whole lot of people, but he could only be in community with a few. I mean, you read the Bible, man. Jesus is healing, raising the dead, feeding thousands, teaching thousands, talking to women at the, I'm, I'm not, you know, you know, going and saying, get away from this woman. You're not going to accuse her. You're not going to abuse her. Jesus helped a lot of people, but he was only in deep community and relationship with a few. For some of you, this is going to free you. Because some of you are literally just, you feel like your soul is just being ripped apart because you're trying to be in friendship and be in community with everybody. And even Jesus didn't do that. Here's the crazy thought. Jesus had relational limitation. Or that was purposeful. He, and, and the two, sometimes you've got to accept your relational limitations. Here's the thing. I'm saying help. In throughout your life, you will encounter so many opportunities to help. And we see Jesus seizing, seizing those opportunities. So here's what, here's what I'm not saying. Oh, sorry, you're not purposeful, you know. If it, also know you see Jesus being in very tight community with a small group of people. Even, even so, you can see Jesus within the 12. He had three that were kind of his, like, top three, and then he had one close and, and then he kind of had his, like, best friend, close friend, which was the uh, Apostle John. It's kind of three. There were, but, but then you had Peter, James, and John. 
that were kind of like his kind of three. There were, there were times when Jesus would go and do something. He would call them and leave the other, and, and just kind of like leave the other nine. Can't see, can't, like, yeah, look at Peter, James, and John. Can't believe Jesus won't take me with him. Am I not good enough to go to the transfiguration? Am I not good enough to go up there and see him heal that woman? <laughs> right? And I mean, you can probably see them, you know, snot, snot. But, but Jesus, had, Jesus had what? Jesus had purpose. Right? So here's the thing, right? Jesus, you help a lot of people. But no, helping doesn't mean you're in community with them. Helping does not mean that you are in deep relationship with them. Jesus intentionally chose a small group of people to do relationship with. Thirdly. We see that Jesus intentionally chose a diverse group of people to be in community with. I think this is probably one of the most important ones that we're going to talk about today. I find it interesting that Jesus could have just chose 12 people exactly like him. Same background. He was a stone cutter. So, yo, let me go and get 12 stone cutters because they all know what it's like to be a stone cutter. But what you actually see Jesus doing and what you see Jesus choosing to live in community, like to be people he does life with, he chose an incredibly diverse group of people. He chose fishermen. He chose tax collectors. He chose Jewish nationalists. He chose doubters. He even had a traitor. But when you look at, right, so Jesus chose Fishermen who were like, you know, blue-collar, working-class, like shipyard people, right? Going in there, welders, right? Welders, ship fit, pipe fitters. I don't know all the positions over there. But like blue-collar, working-class people who paid their taxes. And then he chose a tax collector, Matthew, who we... We don't do tax collector justice. Like, that would be like the mob. Like, tax collectors in Jesus' day, they were not really governed by the government. The only thing the government cared about was how much money can you get from us. And they essentially made up their own rules. So if there's someone they actually liked, uh, just give me like 10 bucks. There's someone they didn't like, hey, 5,000. Rogue rule five, addendum seven. It's going to be $5,000 for you. And Jewish people hated the tax collectors because they worked for the Roman government. So you had working class that were getting stolen from, from people like Matthew. And then Jesus chose someone called Simon the Zealot, which Zealot was essentially a Jewish nationalist whose whole life goal was to kill as many Romans as possible because they hated the Roman, they, they hated the fact that Rome was oversight of the Jewish nation. So they saw it as their like flaming, burning passion. We're going to make Jerusalem great again. We are, and that is not a slight. Don't even, don't even get me. Don't come at me. That is no slight to anybody or anything. I shouldn't have said that. But, that, that's, just, but that's kind of their mentality, right? Their mentality was, was like, we're, we're not going to let Rome overtake us. Like, no. We're standing up. We're going to kill. We're going to kill, like, you know, they were trying to do assassinations. That was their life goal. 
And then you had Thomas, like, I don't know if I believe this Jesus. I just find it so interesting who Jesus had around him. Can you imagine these campfires? You got Simon the Zealot over there looking at Matthew like, you mother. This is Lifehouse Church, y'all. I'm, I'm just sorry. I'm not trying to be vulgar. I'm not trying to be whatever. I'm just trying to be real. Because I can just imagine now if, if you had, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna use some names, if you had a Trump supporter and then you had somebody on the far left and they were in, they were in the same camp, campfire, but they, were, but they were following Jesus. Can you imagine the campfires that Jesus moderated? And then you had these fishermen like, yo, you, Matthew, I remember you. You took my life savings. You know, it's just like, I'm trying to get you to see the diversity of Jesus' crew that he did life with. And I think there's so many important notes that we need to take with that. Because in our time, especially now where there was so much polarizing, but just defining them by whatever affiliation they're in, we need more than ever. Instead of being distant from people, which here's the thing, distance creates distortion. You can have a distorted message of what somebody believes if you're not in community and you're not in relationship with them and you say something like, help me understand why you believe the way you believe. He believes, help me understand, because typically behind a passion, typically behind what somebody believes is an experience. Say, why, why are you so passionate about about police brutality, just like all this stuff. It's like, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like when you get to them, you can actually hear an experience. And this goes both, this goes all around. And what will kill community within a diverse church like ours is if we keep distance instead of doing life together and, and saying, I need to intentionally have around people. I need to intentionally have people around me that are different than me and think, and think differently. Because what we love to do is create what? Echo chambers. You just want people around you to parrot the same stuff. Parrot the same votes or, or you know, the same politician. Parrot the same policies. Parrot the same, 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 same. Because then, then we feel comfortable but even Jesus didn't make himself comfortable by only asking people to be in community with him that were like him. He intentionally chose a diverse group of people to do life. Let me ask you this. How diverse is your crew? How diverse is your crew in color, age group, gender, experiences? Because let me tell you this. At LifeHouse, one of the gifts we have is diversity. So if you want to find someone different than you to bring into your crew and do life with, you'll find it. One of the things I know God trained me up in my life for was, what, was to lead something like this. Because thankfully, th- throughout my whole life, it has never been normal. It's always been very diverse. But I believe this is the heart and kingdom of God. This is the heart and kingdom of God is, is what God's doing here. And, and, and so, look, what we see from Jesus' life is intentionally choose a diverse group of people to be in community with. Here's the thing, right, fourthly, that we see. Jesus 
understood that information plus modeling equals transformation. See, here's the thing. We, we don't, y- y- we, we, I, you, me, we don't need any more knowledge, y'all. Information. What you see Jesus doing, he gave inf- a good mother, a good spouse, but you have no idea because you just know you should do it. You've just never actually had it modeled. So much of what you learn is caught more than it's taught. Like some of the stuff that I have learned the most from is just by watching a dad be a good dad. See, and it's not reading a book, How to Be a Great Dad by James Dobson, right? See, and it's, it's, it's just like parenting, right? Like I've learned some of the greatest lessons in how to be a parent by watching some people in this church parent. I know Brian, Chal- Chal- uh, Brian Chalzman, he's raised up like 14 great daughters. I don't know. I'm not sure, man. How many? Do- I-, I think he just wa- walked out. Three? Oh, three. Okay. All right. But it's just like, and I mean, he was having them read full books and do book reports and, and like talking to them about business strategies like at 15. I love that. Like, I love the fact that he, he is being pro active to ensure his kids are ready to take on the world. I, that speaks to me so much more than any book that I could read because I've got experience seeing his daughters, how amazing they are, how, how, how successful they are. I'm like, dang, I got to sit down with this dude. What, what, what did you do? Because, it, it, see, here's the thing. Jesus knew it wasn't just what you know, it's what you see. And some of, of you are just a model away from growing in whatever area of life you want to grow in. And that's why you have to be strategic about who you bring around you. Because you want to bring around you people who are at a place where you aren't. In a, in, in a specific area that you want to grow in. So if you are not a good dad and you know it, do you know who you want to be in your crew? Some dads that are killing it. If you're struggling being a good spouse, you need to get some people around you to, that have been married and been done this thing. What area do you have knowledge in but you don't have modeling in? Jesus knew that both is what equals transformation. Lastly, relationships. Jesus knew relationships are ground zero to build real, true Christ-likeness. Here's the, here's the thing. Relationships aren't just for your happiness, they're for your holiness. And one of the things where I think we struggle in churches is we just think relationships are just there to make us happy. What I've learned is relationships are there to kill your flesh. Right? And you've got to have the right expectations. Because if the only and you don't realize that as you go deeper and deeper, you're going to rub up against each other and you're going to iron sharpens iron, then the wrong perspective leads to the wrong expectation, which then will ultimately lead to you running from what you need most, which sometimes conflict is what you actually need to grow. Chapter six, right? the church is brand new. I mean, just imagine the church brand new, y'all. Bunch of people that love Jesus don't have a clue what the heck's going on. Acts chapter six, let me read this to you here. It says, but as the believers were rapid, rapidly multiplied, so there was growing, the church was growing. It says, they were rumblings of discontent. Ooh, what's going on? 
there's drama. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Multiplying rapidly. So, here's the thing, right? You, you have got this church growing, multiplying rapidly, and then you've got issues. Praise God. So, whenever those particular issues happened, what do churches like to do? Go to verse number two. So, the 12 called a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what church is like doing. Let's meet. Let's get together and talk about it. It's, it's, it's a, so they called a meeting of all the believers running a food program. And so, brother, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea. And they chose the following. Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Pumbaa, I, I'm sorry, I, I've done that every, every single time whenever I say that. Lion King referencing, if you've never seen that movie, what are you doing with your life? Parmenas and Nicholas of Antioch, an early convert to the Jewish faith. So in verse number six says, these seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they, and they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The numbers of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were were converted to. So let me just show you what happened here. There was a problem. They came together. They talked it out. They delegated. And they continued to grow. I bet through this experience here, the church grew closer together. See, because sometimes you need, conf- you need conflict in relations. Churches need some sort of, of conflict at times. Because it's conflict that kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of like uh, shows what you, all right, it's 1037. Our second service starts in, 20, in, 20, in, in 23 minutes. All right, so look, John, this is great. We got the problem. We see what Jesus did. What does it mean for our church life house? All right, let me tell you, whenever we talk about building community at LifeHouse, we want to be systematic and organic for you to build community and do life together, while at the same time, we know that sometimes relationships happen organically, because some of you are a lot more outgoing. Some of you come into the church like, hey, my name's Jerry. I want to know everybody. And you're just, like, really outgoing and just, like, you can make friends and you can easily invite people over to your house. You can go to them. And it's, you, it's just easily natural for you to build community and to build relationship. But some of you need a more systematic approach where we have frameworks in place for you to join groups. Some of the people does actually get in relationship so you can do life together with, with, with some of the people. Does that make sense? So we want to provide both at LifeHouse because here's the thing, right? We, we can't make you be in community. I can't make you go from being in a chair to being in a circle. I can't, like, I can't make you, all we can do at LifeHouse is simply provide the framework for you to do this and trust the Holy Spirit that you're going to take steps towards building community. Because you will have is what we call life groups, right? And you guys have probably heard these. We talk about them all the time. We, we promote them on social all the time. And basically what you do in life groups, you get to know others and be known, grow in your relationship with Jesus through Bible study and practical application, and it provides a place for you to help others and receive help. Look, 
whenever you walked in, you received this kind of like white, white card here. On it, it it's, it's got a list on the back of all the life groups we've got going on this semester. I think there's 10 groups overall. I would encourage you, check them out. Check a box. Even if you're like, I don't even know what that is. I don't know who this person is leading it. I guarantee you, no matter what age or stage of life you're in right, right now, there is, there is a group that can act as a framework for you to get into community and to build relationship at LifeHouse so you can do life the way that Jesus did it. Check those groups out. Secondly, or the thing is, this right, you can text group to 757-690-2401, and you can get information about groups there. Uh, what's your name? Jarvis, man. Can you come up and start playing so I can hurry? All right? Secondly, though, the second place we have for you to build, to, to build relationship and do life together systematically is basically saying we have a group of, of people that serve weekly at LifeHouse in person and online where basically they, they are the ones that make LifeHouse happen. Greeters, greeters, ushers, children's workers, nursery dream teams are youth workers, youth volunteers. And, and I mean, here's, here's the thing, right? Dream teams are basically the engine that makes life house roll. And some of the strongest relationships we have within our church are, are people who work side by side. And some, and some of you, you would, you would rather build relationships side by side instead of face to face, where you're not the whole, let's go grab coffee. You're, you're like, let's work together. Let's do something together. And as we do that, we'll build relationship and we'll do life together. Possibly some of you, the way you could take a step towards doing life together and building community today to be like Jesus is saying, let me find a, a team that I can try out, give it like 30 days and be like, is this the team that, that, that through this of working side by side, I can build community? So systematically, those are the two things we have for you that we can't make you do, but we know if you do, it will make your life better and you'll be living like, like Jesus by being intentional and doing life together. But like I said, we can't make you do it. And here's the thing. Doing life together and being in community is harder, but is better. How many of you know sometimes the best things in life are just harder? But But let's be honest, we're, we are creatures of comfort. So, so look, here's the deal. Here's how I'm going to close. I want to ask that you will take a step towards community today. Take a step. I'm not asking you to sprint. I'm not asking you to be best friends with everybody. But I'm simply saying, what step do you need to make today to get in community? And what we have prepared for you, for, for, for you to take that step, is this card here. Practically, the response time today. If you want to take a step towards community today, the groups, they're right on this card. The dream teams are right on this card. And what I would encourage you to do is to take this card, we should have, have given you one walking in. If you don't have, have one, if you don't have one, lift a hand and we'll, and we'll ensure that you get one. 
take a step towards being like Jesus and doing life together. Get a diverse group, somebody that can model, knowing that, that when you do life together, it is, it, it is the ground zero for becoming like Christ. Take a step today. Would you stand up with me? Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard or said yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us online next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at lifehouseonline.com or in person for a live worship service at 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. at the Kiln Creek Regal Theater in Newport News, Virginia. Visit lifehouseinn.com for more information or to RSVP for a live service.